I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well on this Friday afternoon. It's FA Cup third round weekend. The FA Cup's lost a little bit of its gloss, hasn't it? Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail uh, later on. Uh, premium members will get access to another uh, bit of premium content that will be dropping later on, which is about uh, the importance of the FA Cup to Arsenal this season and the importance of Arsenal's uh, sort of uh, success in the competition over the years gone by as well. We'll get into all of that. Really looking forward to sharing that uh, short edition of the podcast with you guys. But um, we're here to talk transfers. We're here to talk Joao Felix. We're here to talk uh, the latest around Mikhailo Mudrik. We're here to talk about some alternative options to Mikhailo Mudrik. Players that I feel are probably attainable for similar amounts of money. They're actually probably more proven. Players that I would feel less comfortable about breaking the bank for. Uh, but we'll get into all of that on this edition of the show. But it would be wrong of me not to start the show by paying tribute to the former Chelsea man, uh, former Italy man, former Sampdoria legend uh, Gianluca Vialli, who sadly passed away. The news broke uh, earlier on this morning that Gianluca Vialli uh, has uh, sadly lost his life. He was in a battle with pancreatic cancer for a little while. Um, at one point, he was uh, told that he'd been given the all clear, but obviously was re-diagnosed back in 2021, I think. And, and unfortunately, um, it has beaten him. And um, this news really rocked me this morning. You know, I think we we all feel a sort of connection to certain footballers, right? Most of which are the ones that play for our football club. You know, that's just how it goes. You feel that affiliation. You feel that love. There, there are certain players, I think, that have been able to make an impact on the wider football world. Um, and there are fans of of clubs that those particular players never even played for that feel that affection. And Gianluca Vialli was definitely one of those. And I'll explain why. You know, for me, yeah, of course, I, I, I sort of look back on the Serie A days and think, yeah, what a phenomenal player. Um, you know, a massive, massive legend in the Italian game. And he was an ex-Chelsea player, ex-Chelsea manager. And, and so theoretically, you think, well, why on earth would I have any affiliation with Gianluca Vialli? But I just wanted to share with you guys a quick little story um, about why the Gianluca Vialli news has, has rocked me and why I feel so terrible about it and why I felt so terrible when I heard that he was unwell. Um, as a lot of you know, I came into football journalism, football reporting, whatever you want to call it, broadcasting late. You know, it wasn't the career that I pursued when I left school. I did other things and and I got to a point where, you know, I was working on a podcast that I was really enjoying and I was very lucky enough to have opportunities to be able to at least try and make this a full-time thing, at least try and turn what I loved into a career. And right at the start, I was pitching for some work. I was a freelancer. I had no work. You know, I, I left my job. Um, I had a little bit of money behind me to keep me going for a short period of time. But my God, the pressure was on because you needed to get regular work. You, I needed to get regular work. I needed to get a good income coming in to support my family and to continue pushing for what I wanted and to justify the fact that I just walked away from a, a job. And, and one of the things that I sort of pitched about myself when trying to get written work at the start was, you know, my knowledge of Serie A, the fact that I love Italian football, the fact that, you know, I, I feel like I could provide a better insight to it than a lot of writers who predominantly cover English football. And I really wanted this job. There was a job going that I was really keen to try and get. And I really wanted to impress. And I really wanted to uh, sort of make a splash. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a piece on Serie A, on the, the history of it, on the romanticism of it back in the 90s, on how amazing it was back in those days and why so many people in this country especially fell in love with it. It wasn't just the coverage. It was the quality of the football. It was the quality of the players. It was the history and the stories and all of that, I think, that gripped people. 
And I was trying to find somebody high profile. I was trying to find somebody who, um, you know, who could who could give me something, who could give me that little bit of star quality, who could be the little bit of stardust that I sprinkled on the piece so that I could then try and pitch for work and, and try and get things commissioned. And, um, and I sort of started scrolling through on social media and I can't tell you how many players I reached out to and got no response. I can't tell you how many players I tried to get in contact with and, and had a door shut in my face. I found Gianluca Viali on LinkedIn and you know you, you're looking at it on LinkedIn and you're thinking how active is he actually on here you know shall I shall I try and reach out um you know shall I uh shall I drop him a message and, and see what happens I mean Gianluca Viali is way too big time for me why would he even open my message why would he even you know communicate with me so I sent him a message on the off chance that maybe uh Gianluca Viali would agree to give me an interview Gianluca Viali responded and he said, and this was at the beginning, I, a lot of people at that point, I don't think knew what his illness was. I don't think a lot of people knew what was exactly going on in, in Gianluca Viali's life. But I sent him a message and I said, hi, Gianluca, my name's Harry Simiu. I'm an aspiring journalist. I'm trying to put a piece together about Serie A and, um, and you would be someone that I'd love to chat to if possible. You know, could I possibly get 20, 30 minutes of your time? At a time of your convenience, I would have done it at four o'clock in the morning if I had to. And I sent him this message and I thought, yeah, you know, it, it will probably end up like the rest of them. But no, it didn't. Gianluca Viali responded to me within about three or four hours. And he said, hi, Harry, um, wishing you all the best with your project. Um, thank you for taking the time to message me. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for thinking of me, he said. And he said, look, at the moment, um, I'm not too well. Um, I'm going through some some stuff and I'm in the sort of recovery process. Um, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel from day to day, but what I will do is I will give you a message later on in the week um, when I feel up to it and we can hop on a call. No problem at all. And there's me thinking, first of all, wow, he's messaged me back. And then secondly, I'm thinking, you know, once the excitement of him messaging you back sort of really kind of calms down a little bit, then you're starting to think, yeah, but you know how many people have told me, yeah, we'll do it in the future and nothing came of it. But about three days later, he messaged me again without me prompting him and said, hi, Harry, feeling a bit better today, up and around. Um, still hadn't said what was exactly going on and, and I don't expect him to. Why would he tell a stranger? But he responded, he said, I'm feeling better today. Um, are you good for for 1 p.m. or whatever it was? And we jumped on a Zoom call and I'd asked him for 20 minutes, gave me well over an hour. Um, we spent 20 minutes talking about what I actually needed to talk to him about. And then we just spent the rest of the time talking about football. And you could see it in his eyes that he adored football. You could see that football was everything to him and you could feel straight away what a genuine guy he was. And I think when you look at all of the um, the tributes that are going around now, uh, following the sad news, I think you you can take that away. I think you can get a sense of how well-loved and well-respected he was in the game. And as I say, it doesn't matter that he's a Chelsea legend. It, you know, that to me, that is completely irrelevant because I've met lots of my heroes. Some of them have disappointed me, um, if I'm being completely honest. Gianluca Viali did not. He was uh, a cracking guy, um, an absolute gentleman. Um, you know, even though... I didn't know what he was going through at the time. And even though he was going through that at that period, he still took the time out um, to uh, to respond and then to help me. And he didn't need to. And you could feel during that conversation that it was genuinely coming from a great place. And and I'm honestly, like, I'm not saying I knew Gianluca Viali or anything like that, because I didn't. But obviously I had one interview slash sit down with him. And just from that alone, you know, you you uh you, you can gauge what a person's like i think you can you can make an impression uh, on somebody in just an hour and Gianluca Viali did that with me and and I, honestly i'm so sad to hear the news today I, I think a lot of us knew it was coming or felt that it was coming uh given the struggles that he's had and and given what's been going on but yeah obviously when it when it hits home it hits hard so uh, i just wanted to start off the show by paying tribute to Gianluca Viali 
the absolute gentleman that he was um sending my condolences to obviously um you know his family his friends um everybody that knew him um yeah just really really sad news really sad news and um as i say you know when you when you start off in an industry and you're a nobody you still am a nobody in comparison to to a lot of others but to have someone actually go yeah do you know what it doesn't matter whether he's a big shot or not i will help him and i will talk to him and i will um you know give him give him the time of day um it's it's really nice so um yeah unbelievable guy unbelievable footballer really good manager as well um i, I was I know a lot of people get pissed off when I say this, and I understand why, right? Because a lot of them are England fans. But when Italy made it to the Euro final, and we all knew um, that Gianluca Vialli was going through some stuff, right? We all knew that his health wasn't great. We all knew that he was fighting a battle. Um, and, and that even though he'd got past it once, there was a chance that it would reoccur and that it would um, eventually, you know, sort of knock him for six. There was a, there was a part of me that really wanted it, Italy to win because of him, and to see that, um, and, and the picture I tweeted. I don't know if anybody's seen it. I tweeted a picture of him with the trophy, looking well, looking strong, looking healthy, and having um, having achieved something with his dear friend uh, Roberto Mancini as well. I mean, Roberto Mancini must be going through it at the moment as well. He's lost a really close friend. I'm sure Viali's family are as well. I'm not trying to deny that but he's lost both Gianluca Vialli and, and Sinisa Mihailovic two of his closest mates in a really short period of time and they're not even old you know they're not they're not at that age where it's to be expected you know the, the age 58 whatever it was that Gianluca Vialli was when he passed it's, it's no age to go um so yeah that's my little tribute to Gianluca Vialli um yeah uh Thibaut says uh, can you share the details of the article i've got the article maybe i'll publish it um on like a on on maybe here or something because it never got published it never saw the light of day um <laughs> uh, the editor that i said it to i don't think liked it very much or or didn't find it interesting probably didn't care about syria um but yeah it never saw the light of day um which is now i feel even worse that it didn't um but yeah I'm sure we can get that out somewhere and I can share it with you guys. But yeah. Okay. Whew. That's not what I wanted to be talking about at the start of a podcast, but there we go. Sad, sad news um, that has obviously affected the football world today. Right. Let's get into the Arsenal stuff. Um, let's talk uh, Joao Felix. Let's talk Mikhailo Mudrik. We're also going to be talking about uh, the continuous reaction or the continual reaction to Mikel Arteta's antics shall we say on the touchline the other night uh we're also going to be discussing a couple of alternatives to Mikhailo Mudrik seen as this deal is not going anywhere at the moment um look I know it's early in the window before we get into that I know it's early in the window and I know that you shouldn't panic on the 6th of January and I know that um you know in terms of negotiations knowing that you have the entire month is gonna lead to both sides I guess digging their heels into a certain point and making it um uh, look, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm messing up my words today. I guess what I'm trying to say is on the 6th of January, neither side, not Arsenal nor Shakhtar will feel that they have to give up their position of power and that they have to back down. Maybe towards the latter stages of the window, you might see that change. But right now, that's not changing. Arsenal have been told very clearly what they need to pay to get Mikhailo Mudrik out of Shakhtar Donetsk. Arsenal clearly don't want to pay that. And I don't blame them for not wanting to pay that. But Arsenal can't sleep on this. Arsenal need to be exploring alternatives because we have an incredible opportunity this season to go on and achieve something that is beyond what anybody expected. Failing that, we're going to, you know, push for the Champions League and we're on course to qualify for the Champions League, which is ultimately the step that many of us wanted to and expected us to take at the start of the season. So, yeah, the, but the second part of this campaign has the potential to be very, very special and and. A lot of it could hinge on what we do in January. So, yeah, uh, the Mikhailo Mudrik thing, it isn't going anywhere at the moment. But um, David Ornstein has been talking. He was talking to American television yesterday and he sort of hinted that Arsenal could be about to turn 
uh, the heat up on Atletico Madrid with regards to João Felix. Um, the uh, Portuguese international is, is clearly on his way out of Atletico Madrid. Arsenal uh, are one of the clubs that are potentially interested, but as we've said before, they don't feel that what Atletico are asking in terms of finances to facilitate this deal is fair. They don't feel it's a price they would be prepared to pay. Um, so we've got a little bit of a stalemate there as well. But would Arsenal be prepared to go that little bit further if they felt that the Mikhailo Mudrik thing wasn't going anywhere? And now David Ornstein has said in the past and has, has had hinted and continued to suggest that Arsenal are hoping to land both, that Arsenal would move to sign both if that were possible financially and if that were uh, viable in any way, shape or form. I, I think that at some point in the window, we're going to have to potentially, unless we're willing to meet Shakhtar's price, we're going to have to turn our attention elsewhere. And I've said to you guys before that in terms of player for player, I would prefer Joao Felix because I think he's at a, a higher stage in terms of his development, at a better stage, at a, you know, a further stage in his career. And I think if I was to say that you could give me one or the other and I've got to plug them straight into the team, and get, um, you know, get the best out of them instantly and for them to impact my team instantly and help me in the short term and help me to achieve my short-term goals, I would argue that Joao Felix is, is better equipped to do that right now. But Arsenal have shown that they want to build for the future. Arsenal have shown that they want players who are going to be here for the long haul, that they're trying to build. And I've said to you guys time and time again that this club are not going to continue to spend in the way they've spent in recent years without bringing money back in. It's not sustainable. It's not going to happen. KSE have at no point um, sort of shown themselves to be uh, football club owners that can be mistaken for sugar daddies. They're not that. Um, you know, they've restructured some finances and they've made money available to Arsenal in the transfer windows in recent years without, as I say, recuperating hardly anything in terms of incoming transfer fees. But that's not going to last forever. They're going to want to build a squad. They're going to want to build a squad that they feel can compete for the next few years and that sets the club up uh, to continue progressing in the next few years. And then you're going to see a drop off in the spend. I'm certain of that. Is Mikhailo Mudrik uh, the next piece? Arsenal clearly think he is because they are in negotiations and they are trying to make that happen. But if that can't happen, Arsenal need to, in my opinion, do something that bolsters their chances of achieving what could be a very, very special feat this season. And Joao Felix would represent that. It's going to cost probably around about 20-odd um, million to get that done um, just for a six-month period. And obviously... There's uncertainty that comes with that. You don't know what's going to happen beyond that. And maybe the club will feel that that's too big a risk to take, uh, given that it is um, just a short-term fix, a short-term solution. But the the flip side of that is, could it be another Martin Odegaard? Could we go out and bring this guy in who has uh, you know, gone to Atletico Madrid? It hasn't really worked out. He went there for big money. Could this be the, the resurgence that João Felix needs? Will he fall in love with Arsenal in the way that Martin Odegaard did? Will the club fall in love with him the way they did with Martin Odegaard? And could they then potentially move to make that deal permanent in the future? And so this would be a bit of an audition whilst using him to help us in the interim. You know, that, it, that's the, the best scenario. That's the best way it could possibly work out. But there's obviously the flip side is that he comes in, doesn't have an awful lot of impact. We've outlaid quite a bit of money and then it doesn't work and it doesn't, you know, lead to anything. And then he gets sent back to Atletico Madrid. Or he comes in, plays brilliantly, and then Atletico Madrid gets stupid in their demands for the player and we're priced out of signing him on a permanent deal. If we go on and win the Premier League title with Joao Felix in the side and then he leaves, I don't think anyone's going to care. I think people are going to look back on it and say it was a masterstroke. Well done to Arteta and Arsenal for pulling it off and look what we've got to show for it. It's really, really, um, it's really, really complicated, isn't it? But what is clear is that we need an additional forward in right now, um, sooner rather than later. We've got Martinelli, we've got Saka, but as I've said to you guys on numerous occasions over the past week, the fact that Mikel Arteta looked at his bench against Newcastle when we were searching for a goal and didn't feel that any of them would strengthen the team or would be an upgrade or, or would even be equals to what we had out on the pitch in those attacking areas, I think says a lot. 
yes, you know, we expect Emil Smith Rowe to return very soon. Um, you know, Gabriel Jesus is probably about a month and a half away based on what we think is the, the situation. Arsenal been very coy over that. But yeah, it's it's just it's such a it's such a tough one. Um, you know, it, it what I'm finding a little bit strange and a little bit difficult to kind of process is that it feels like the same people that when I say that Mudrik is overpriced and that that is a ridiculous amount of money to demand, the same people that tell me it's not your money, why do you care, are the same people that tell me that forking out about twenty million pounds to bring Joao Felix in for the short term is is crazy. And and so I can't really understand how those two opinions can kind of live in the same world. You either think that, you know, money is very, very important and that Arsenal need to be responsible with their money, in which case you can't possibly think that £88 million for Mikhailo Mudrik, which is what they are demanding. It might not be what we necessarily pay at the end, but that is what they're looking for. How can you say that Mikhailo Mudrik is worth £88 million, but that spending £20 million on Joao Felix is madness. It, those two opinions, they can't coexist as far as I'm concerned. So that's where I'm struggling a little bit with it at the moment. And we'll take some of your thoughts um, in just a moment. Just quickly circling back to Mikhailo Mudrik, uh, we understand that Chelsea have spoken to Shakhtar Donetsk about the player as well. Dario Serna uh, has been in contact with Chelsea representatives. Mudrik is still said to prefer Arsenal. Um, and and that feels like something that we've got, obviously, to our advantage. Now, I said to you yesterday, what we need is we need Mikhailo Mudrik to be pushing. We need him to be trying to kick the door down. We need him to be really applying pressure from his side onto his club. Nobody wants to see players do that. I mean, I remember when Cesc Fabregas was pushing for that move to Barcelona. No, I didn't like that. No fan of a club will like that or appreciate that. But sometimes that's what it takes to make these deals happen. So if Mikhailo Mudrik really does want Arsenal that badly, if Mikhailo Mudrik is going to continue sharing Instagram posts linked to Arsenal, which is questionable, beha questionable behaviour at best, I would say, um, then he's got to be pushing from his side. And and that's it. You know, that's that's how I see it right now. This is going to drag on. This is going to go until the latter stages of the window. I've said that from the very off. I said that if anybody thought that this was going to be done in the first couple of weeks of the window, you were sadly mistaken because this is not the way negotiations work. Often you see an influx of deals uh, right at the end of a window because teams get to the point where they can no longer barter for position. They can no longer push back on clubs. They can no longer stand their ground if they want those deals to happen, which a lot of the time is the case. Otherwise, negotiations wouldn't even get to that point in the first place. Then somebody needs to compromise. Perhaps both sides need to compromise and that will happen, um, you know, towards the back end of the window, uh, more so than it will in the early stages. But yeah. Let's see. Um, let's see what happens with that. Um, OK, I just wanted to quickly bring up the Arteta chat, um, the talk about Arteta's antics. You know, I did a little uh, short episode which was available to our uh, premium members uh, over on the Another Slice platform. Remember, we are moving all of our memberships over to the Another Slice platform. So uh, if you are interested in getting access to more uh, Chronicles of Aguna content, uh, you can do it over there. Um, that's where all the content is dropping. It is exclusive to another slice. It's the only way I'm going to get people to move over uh, from here to there. Um, but you'll see that we dropped a piece uh, yesterday called The Reporting Around Mikel Arteta's Conduct is Unfair and Inconsistent. And there's another bit dropping a little bit later on today in which we'll be talking about the importance of the FA Cup to Arsenal this season and historically, um, which I think is an inter interesting conversation. So do check that out. If you want to sign up, visit anotherslice.com slash chronicles of a Guna. That'll take you to the landing page. You create your account via the website, log in via your account, and then register or subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna. Once you've done that, you can download the Another Slice app on Android or an iPhone, and you'll be able to uh, then have that content available at your fingertips. Uh, so do check that out. Um, but yeah. Uh, the Mikel Arteta stuff, the chat continues. People are still moaning about his appeals for a penalty. I said it yesterday. If you can't appeal for a last-minute penalty against one of your rivals, what the hell has happened to football? Honestly, what has happened to football? No official 
took any issue with Mikel Arteta on the night. Nobody, yet pundits, yet journalists, have gone absolutely OTT on this. I'll tell you why. Because we are massive. Because Arsenal Football Club are massive. And Arsenal Football Club drive clicks and interaction. And so these people feel that anytime there's something even remotely interesting to discuss, they need to make the absolute most of it. Okay, there were three other Premier League games that night. There have been another five since. Why are we still talking about Mikel Arteta? That was Tuesday night. It is Friday afternoon. And some of the headlines I'm reading today are still about Mikel Arteta. The likes of Richard Keyes, who's a, a, let's be honest, he's a disgusting bloke. Like, you know, he, he did what he did. He lost his job at Sky. Okay, that was bad enough. But he continues to just be... I don't know, like, is he trying to be controversial on purpose? Like, you know, lots of things have come out about Richard Keyes over the years, and I don't want to be one to sort of really hammer him personally. I said he's a disgusting man because that's how I feel when I read some of the stuff, and that's how I feel when I look at the way he goes after certain people in the game uh, in order to try and keep himself relevant. Like, You can have an opinion on stuff, but there's genuine opinions, and then there's people that, um, that I think, what's the word? Um, trying to think of the word that I'm looking that I want here. That I guess overblow opinions in order to try and generate clicks and to try and generate headlines and and essentially raise their relevance levels, if that's even a thing. But yeah, um, Richard Keys is one of those still going on. He highlighted a piece that was in one of the newspapers. Um, you know, even John Cross was, is still going on about it. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you're there, like smiling at him and like, you know, giving it all of the, all of that when you're in the press conference, like sitting front row, making sure you asked a question even before anybody else has sat down. And then at the same time, you're sort of writing these things about him and jumping on opinions that are held by dinosaurs who clearly have lost their relevance. It's, it's, oh, it, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. But anyway. Uh, I just wanted to make that point. Three other games that night, five Premier League fixtures since, yet we're still talking about Mikel Arteta appealing for a penalty. Oh, honestly, get over it. Um, okay, I said to you guys that I wanted to share with you some alternatives um, to Mikhailo Mudrik. I said to you guys that there are other players out there, if we're talking about that type of price bracket, um, if we're talking about 80 million pounds plus or there or thereabouts i wanted to look across europe and come up with some players that i think you could acquire for something around that that are definitely more proven than mikhailo mudrik and would definitely represent less risk and i've highlighted a couple and you know look this is theoretical, okay? It doesn't mean that you'll be able to go and get these players in January. It doesn't mean that their clubs are going to be willing to let them go. Obviously, that's huge. It doesn't mean that those players are going to want to live, um, are going to want to leave, I beg your pardon, where they currently are mid-season, okay? So this is all theoretical. But when people say to me, 88 million pounds, if that's what you have to pay, is absolutely fine for Mikhailo Mudrik, then I would ask you why aren't these players that I'm about to mention in that same bracket why aren't we talking about them why isn't anybody talking about them why are we obsessing over a player who's very very unproven and why are we willing to go that extra mile for them uh, for him but not these players that I'm going to mention who have got a lot more to back up their talent and a lot more evidence for us to go by when we're deciding whether that risk is worth taking or not. So the first one, Tariq's read my mind. You've been watching this show uh, for too long, my man. <laughs> hope you're good, by the way. I don't think I've seen you in the chat for a while. So I uh, hope you're well. hope you're good. Um, any, anyway, Rafael Leao is in that list. Yeah, Rafael Leao is one of them. Let me explain why. 23 years old. 136 appearances for AC Milan one of the biggest clubs in world football. Serie A champions, reigning Serie A champions. He has produced 35 goals and 30 assists 
in that 136 appearances, which equates to 65 direct goal contributions. He impressed when he was used at the World Cup. He's impressed in the Champions League. His valuation, according to Transfermarkt, and again, Transfermarkt is not the 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 Bible. You shouldn't look at the values valuations on Transfermarkt and say, well, that is exactly what this player is worth. But what I'm doing is I'm using it to highlight that if you're shopping in that bracket, if you've got that much money to drop on a forward, there are other forwards that you should be looking at. Rafael Leal, according to Transfermarkt, is valued at 85 million euros. That's 75.2 million pounds based on today's exchange rate. How on earth is Rafael Leal valued at less than Mikhailo Mudrik right now? Now, they use the same equations and they the same, um, you know, the same sort of theory behind the way they value these players. And I'm not saying that Milan would let him go for £75 million. That's not what I'm saying. Let me let me be clear about that. What I am saying is, if you've got that type of money to spend, the reason people are suggesting that maybe Mikhailo Mudrik is overpriced is because there are players who have done more. There are players who are currently better than him. There are players that are currently at a much higher level than him, playing in a much higher standard of league, who are you know, who are available or valued at that sort of amount. I'm not even saying available because availability is dependent on a lot of things. But the point I'm trying to make here is that how can you justify the valuation that Shakhtar Donetsk have placed on Mikhailo Mudrik? Somebody said to me yesterday, somebody tweeted me that it's because Shakhtar lost a lot of players because of the conflict obviously going on in Ukraine and that they weren't fairly compensated for that. And and that's had a real knock-on effect and a real negative impact on their football club. And hence why they feel that they need to go overboard with the price of Mikhailo Mudrik. And I understand that. And I know the conflict is horrible. And I know the war is a horrible, horrible thing. We've talked about it before on this show. We've got Ukrainian viewers um, whom I've got loads and loads of sympathy for. And I totally understand uh, why the situation there is is the way it is and you know how difficult it must be for clubs like Shakhtar Donetsk to continue and to continue sort of operating with all these pressures and strains from what's happened in Ukraine. I, I totally get all of that. But it doesn't mean that because of that, Arsenal are obligated to overpay for a player. Do you see what I'm trying to say? You, you have to separate the two issues, okay? Shakhtar will want to get as much as they possibly can because of all of those reasons I've explained on top of having a good player anyway. But, you know, to, 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 to make it seem as though Arsenal are obligated to pay that money because Shakhtar are going through that, I think is wrong because that's not the case. Okay, so that's number one, Rafael Leal. Now, some people will say he's overrated, whatever. I'm just saying that, if Rafael Leal, who is proven in one of Europe's top leagues, who is playing for the reigning Italian champions, who has made 65 direct goal contributions in 136 appearances for Milan, is valued at 85 million euros. Okay, according to the same site that values Mudrik at 40 million euros, then I am right to question whether Arsenal should go that far for Mikhailo Mudrik. Okay, another player who I think is better than both of them. Kvitscha Kvaratskhelia of Napoli. Unbelievable footballer. One of the most exciting footballers in Europe right now. Gets you off your seat every time you watch him play. Currently playing his football at Napoli. Signed for 10 million euros by Napoli. Brought to the club. He's been an instant success, an instant hit. 18 appearances so far this season for Napoli. He's got eight goals and 10 assists. 18 direct goal contributions. In 18 appearances. That same website values him at 60 million euros, 53 million pounds based on today's exchange rate. I am not saying, just to be clear, that Napoli would sell Kvaratskhelia today for 60 million euros. I'm not saying that Milan would sell Rafael Leal today for 85 million euros. What I am saying is, Mikhailo Mudrik's track record doesn't hold up against the track records of these two guys. His level cannot be compared to the level of those two guys who are doing it in one of Europe's top leagues, 
are of similar age profiles. Kvaratskhelia is 21 years old. There is so much more to look out with those guys that would give you confidence that the risk you're taking is a safer one. Every transfer is a risk. That's my catchphrase during every transfer window. I've always said that. But when I look at how those two records or what I've seen of them stacks up against what I've seen of Mikhailo Mudrik, I can't make a case that they're in the same financial bracket. Yet people want to tell me that they are. I'd like Mikhailo Mudrik to come. This is not a slight on the player. I don't have any criticism of him. I would love to see him come and I'm intrigued to see what he will develop into and how far he can go. But I cannot sit here and tell you, you know, if I'm being completely honest, that right now he's better than Rafael Leal. I can't tell you that he's better than Kvadat Scalia. Therefore, I can't tell you that he's worth more than them when he's of a similar age profile to them. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Does that make sense? Let me know in the comments. Um, let me know uh, what you guys um, think about this. I know people always say that actually um, the player is only worth what the club is willing to, or a player is worth what he is worth to the club, right? So to Shakhtar Donetsk, Mikhailo Mudrik is worth 80 plus million. Therefore, we should pay 80 plus million. I would challenge that opinion and I would challenge that view that a lot of people hold. And I would say, actually, something or someone is only worth what somebody else is willing to pay. Okay. And, and that's how I look at it. It's a slightly different viewpoint coming at it from a slightly different angle, but that's how I see it. You can't tell me your house is worth half a million pounds if no one will pay half a million pounds for it. Okay. Your house is only worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. Forget your calculations, forget the market, forget any of that, because all of that is irrelevant if no one's actually willing to cough up that money. A property, a football player, a car is only worth what a buyer is willing to pay for it. And if a buyer is willing to exceed what you believe is reasonable or what most people would believe to be reasonable or a fair amount, then fine. But if they choose not to, then stop kidding yourself and pretending, um, you know, that that the valuation of Mikhailo Mudrik right now is fair because it's not fair. It's not fair at all. Now, sometimes you have to go what's beyond fair to get what you want. And Arsenal might do that. At this moment in time, I'm a little bit unsure. I am. I am unsure. Anyway, let's take your questions and your thoughts for the remainder of the show. I'd love to hear from you guys. I'd love to get uh, your takes on the uh, on the stuff discussed. Uh, don't forget as well, there's going to be uh, an FA Cup bit of content dropping for you guys uh, a little bit later on, uh, on the Another Slice platform for our members. So if you want to check that out and support me uh, to keep bringing you more content, if you want to support the show, if you want to support Great Ormond's Street Children's Hospital, uh, who we are supporting via our membership pot as well, uh, then please do uh, make that transition over there. Uh, yeah, get your questions in, get your thoughts in. While you're doing that, I uh, just want to quickly check in where we're at in terms of likes. Oh, my word. There's over 500 of you with me live right now. We've only got 89 likes on the board. What is going on? What is going on? Let's try and get that up to at least a couple of hundred. Come on. Um, we hit 25.3K subscribers uh, yesterday. Let's try and get that up as soon as possible. We want to get to 30K uh, as soon as possible. It's going to take a while um, based on our current rate of growth. But, you know, let's uh, let's try and get there sooner rather than later. It'd be amazing. Okay. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Des Lynham says, not the Des Lynham, not the legendary TV broadcaster, Des Lynham. Uh, what other club would pay Eddie 100k per week? Again, that is a classic case of someone just taking a figure out of nowhere and, and throwing it. So first of all, you don't know that Eddie and Ketia gets 100k a week. His deal is said to be worth up to 100k a week, which would suggest that that's the maximum he'll be paid should he reach uh, certain uh, objectives and, and basically claim all of his bonuses. The second thing is that there was no transfer fee uh, or signing on fee, as far as I'm aware, paid to Eddie and Ketia. So you can talk about the 100k per week, but if you times that by the amount of weeks in a year and then the length of his contract, it still works out cheaper than Arsenal going out and 
bringing in a striker who may not have even been to that level or to that standard. So um, that's uh, that's a bit of a red herring. I know a lot of people throw that out and a lot of people use that as a justification uh, when they want to criticise him. But yeah, I think Eddie's done fine since he's come in for Gabriel Jesus. He wasn't the reason we didn't beat Newcastle. Um, and, he, and he scored two in three games since the restart. So let, let's cut the guy some slack uh, just a little bit. Um, Sodi says, is Mudrick currently better than Emil Smith-Rowe? I can't say that he is. And that's another point. That's another reason why I can't say he's worth £88 million pounds or £80 million pounds or in excess of that. Because nobody's seen enough of him. It It drives me mad when people sit there and they go, he's a generational talent. He might be. He bloody might be. But I'm going to listen to the people that watch him week in, week out. I'm going to listen to the people that have followed his career from the beginning. I'm going to listen to the people that have actually sat and watched Mikhailo Mudrik at length and in detail when that claim is being made. I'm not going to listen to people that have watched a few YouTube compilations and all of a sudden have become experts on Ukrainian football. You know, there are there's the Premier League and there's the Italian League. They're the two leagues that I follow very closely. But I often say to you when people ask me about different players that I'll be honest and hold my hands up and say, I don't know an awful lot about this player. I can make something of a judgment based on what I have seen and, and based on the, the studying that I do and the um, the analysis that I will do before I come on and talk about one of them. But very often I hold my hands up and say, I don't know everything about this player. I don't know enough about this player to make uh, an absolute judgment call. And Mikhailo Mudrik is one of those. And because I don't know so much about him, I can't say that he's better than Emil Smith-Rowe today. Because I don't so know so much about him, I can't say with any real sort of chest that he's worth the price that is being talked about. And to answer your question, Sodi, I, I I don't think, I can't say that he is. I can't say that he is. And I certainly wouldn't pay £80 million plus for Emil Smith-Rowe at the moment. Uh, Tariq says, what's your thoughts on Ferran Torres with Barca's financial situation and a number of wide players? Do you think we could get him realistically? I think that if the price is right, Barcelona would be tempted. You know, forget what they say. They say publicly that nobody will be going. They say that they're happy with the squad that they have and that they'll be looking to make changes to that in the upcoming summer. But we know, as you mentioned, Barcelona's financial situation is a precarious one. And so... If Arsenal believe he's the man, then test the waters. Um, you know, test the waters. But I, I don't believe that Arsenal are, are, are totally interested in that, if I'm honest with you. Um, there's been suggestions that Mikel Arteta is an admirer of the player, uh, but it's never really been followed up by anybody of any uh, real status in terms of the journalists. So I'm a little bit reluctant to believe that we're we're really serious about that. Uh, what else have we got? Um Thank you to Tailwood Studio, who signed up to support the podcast here on YouTube. Remember, if you do want to support the podcast, if you go over to Another Slice, you'll get access to the uh, premium content as well. And uh, that link is in the description. That's not to say I don't appreciate those that are supporting us via here as well. Um, thank you all so, so much. Um, what else have we got? I'm not going to be able to take every single question because I'll I'll be here all night. Um, but... Uh, I will take as many as I can in the uh, available time. Um, Harry, how many other players like so many Arsenal posts? Bring him in, talking about Mikhailo Mujic. I mean, that's nice, yeah? Like, that, you know that he wants Arsenal. That's nice. When you think about what we went through uh, in the summer with regards to Rafinha, you know, yes, he'll be a great signing. Let's bring him in. Let's get him through the door. But then when you knew that Rafinha didn't really want to come to Arsenal, well, that wasn't his number one. It did put you off a little bit. So I'd be a hypocrite if I now said that it's not nice that Mikhailo Mudrik wants this move to Arsenal. But at the same time, would I want my player doing that, flirting with another football club? I said that he needs to push. It feels like he's pushing, at least publicly, but he's got to probably be a little bit stronger and a little bit firmer behind the scenes to make that happen as well. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Delisu says, do you think Shakhtar are negotiating with Chelsea in good faith? or using them to squeeze as much out of Arsenal as possible? Probably a bit of both. Whatever Shakhtar tell you publicly, they do want to sell Mikhailo Madrid. They do want the payday. Because that time for Mikhailo Madrid uh, to move on will come anyway. 
And, you know, let's say that he drops off a little bit in terms of his level in the next um, 18 months, 12 months, the remainder of the season. Then all of a sudden his valuation takes a nosedive. His stock is at the highest it will probably ever be right now. Why? Because it's based on potential. And you can't cock up potential. You can't let someone down um, when the only evidence that they have is is hearsay. You know, it's or, or a feeling or a, a belief that you're going to go on to achieve something special. There's no chance of you cocking that up at this point in your career. Because when you don't play very well, everybody says, well, you're young and you've still got a lot to learn. So this is the point where they can get the most money for him because if his performance is curtailed, even in the slightest, his valuation is not going to be, um, you know, the same. How can he do any more really to prop it up anymore? Because that thing of, oh, well, he's playing in the Ukrainian league is always going to be thrown back at him and thrown back at Shakhtar. I think Shakhtar will be negotiating with Chelsea and, as I say, will want to sell him and will want to have an alternative in the event Arsenal cannot come to an agreement with them. If the player then chooses to join Arsenal, well, that's not on Shakhtar. They negotiated with Chelsea. They agreed a deal. All is good between them two. It was just that Chelsea couldn't convince him to come there ahead of the gun as he ends up in North London. Happy days. I think that the negotiations, as far as Shakhtar are concerned, is just them looking to secure as much money as they possibly can. And if they got the same money from Arsenal, I'm sure they wouldn't have a problem with him going to Arsenal. So, yeah, um, that's how I see it at the moment. Uh, Com Dean, thank you so, so much for your very, very kind donation to the channel. Really, really appreciate it. He says, hey, Harry, I asked about the Enzo um, Enzo Fernandez. I'm assuming you're talking about as a potential Xhaka replacement a few months ago. Just wondering if you've watched him and what you think. I like Enzo Fernandez. He's got a really good reputation. He's obviously someone that uh, a lot of big European clubs are looking at. He obviously went to the World Cup and scored a wonderful goal, didn't he? I think it was against Mexico, but played well uh, whenever he got the opportunity in the tournament. He's a World Cup winner, has been playing well for Benfica for some time, and he certainly has a, a very high stock at the moment. The price that Benfica are asking, or the release clauses, is high, um, but that's what release clauses are there for, to protect the likes of Benfica from being robbed of their biggest talents. If somebody wants him, they know what they need to cough up to do it. Otherwise, they need to negotiate. But in negotiations, you know, you can't then begrudge Benfica for going no, 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 because they've got that safety net, which is the release clause that is in place. Now, the manager of Benfica, Roger Schmidt, yesterday was very vocal about uh, the way that some underhanded tactics have been used in order to try and convince Enzo Fernandez that his future is elsewhere. He was really upset about that. He said that a club didn't name the club, but he said that a club had indicated to Enzo Fernandez's people that they were happy and okay to pay the release clause and wound him up essentially and turned his head before then proceeding to approach Benfica and saying, yeah, you know what, we're not going to pay the release clause. Can we negotiate at a lower amount? And Roger Smith feels that that is really underhanded, that it isn't very nice, that it's classless essentially. And and was very vocal about that in a press conference that he gave yesterday. And fair play to him for calling it out. The issue is here is that the club said club. A lot of people think it's Chelsea, but he didn't confirm that. So I'm not going to 100% say it's them. It probably is. It might be. But, you know, what that does is sort of highlight, I think, how much of this shit goes on behind the scenes. Now, we might look at it and think, well, you know, it ain't that big a deal. Benfica will feel awful about it. Um, it's caused them a situation that they don't really want to deal with now. Uh, it's made the situation messy, which that club will feel will probably give Benfica a bit of an incentive to hurry this along and therefore may see them drop their asking price. I mean, I like Enzo Fernandez, but again, we're talking about crazy amounts of money. The amount of money, I just don't think Arsenal are going to be willing to drop on one player. And... You know, if I'm sitting here saying that the Mikhailo Mudrik price is crazy, be a hypocrite if I said that the Enzo Fernandez price is not a little bit OTT as well. And But I'd argue that he's more proven. And so, although I don't agree with it, it's still more acceptable, understandable uh, for Benfica to be, you know, sticking to their guns and asking for the release clause than it is for Shakhtar to be asking for 88 million or whatever it is they're asking for, for Mikhailo Mudrik. Thank you, though. Really good question. Um, really good point. 
Good comment. Uh, let's take this one from uh, screen name Dissident Agnostic, who says, do you think Mudrick will force a move to Arsenal by refusing to sign for anyone else? I think that that will probably be how this goes down. But as I said earlier on in the show, that means it probably isn't going to happen until the latter stages of the window. And a lot of people won't like that. Um, a lot of people are going to feel on edge until that gets done. And there's going to be this worry and this anxiety and this fear among the Arsenal uh, fan base about what happens if we don't find a breakthrough in this and we leave it right to the end of the window. We could end up without doing uh, the business that we all feel that we probably need. So, yeah, it's um, it's a tough one, isn't it? It is a really, really tough one. But, um, you know, I think that eventually, hopefully, we'll get that breakthrough and find that conclusion. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to leave it there, guys. Uh, thank you so, so much. Uh, so many great questions. So many amazing comments. Thank you all so, so much. Around about 600 of you with me right now live on YouTube, which is incredible. Uh, big shout out to everybody who will be watching this or listening to this back on the various platforms. Be sure to leave a like. Only 162 likes on the board. Come on, let's get it up to 200 by the time the outro plays. There are more than enough of you in the chat. doesn't cost a thing. What does cost a little thing, though, is the Another Slice membership, but you'll get access to premium content. If you're enjoying this content, if you want more, if you want, uh, yeah, even more Chronicles of Aguna in your ears, I don't know why anybody would, but if you do, uh, by any chance, then yeah, check out the Another Slice uh, membership uh, proposition. Um, if you visit the page uh, that is linked in the description, you'll be able to check that out and you can sign up uh, via that link. Thank you all so, so much. I will see you all not tomorrow, uh, because I am working tomorrow. I am commentating in some FA Cup third round action for BBC uh, Radio London and BBC Sport. So you'll be able to listen to my commentary uh, of um, Crystal Palace uh, versus uh, Southampton at Selhurst Park, 12.30pm UK time on the BBC Sport website, I believe. It's also going to be on the Crystal Palace website, I understand as well. Um, stay tuned to my social handles for information on that and how you can tune in. Sitting alongside uh, former QPR Manchester United and England right back Paul Parker. He's my co-commentator. Can't wait to work with him again. We've had we've done. I think this is our third game together. It's been great. Uh, he's a real good um, good co-coms, really good summariser, and uh, and a brilliant guy as well. So really looking forward to that. Uh, so join me for that. But that means we'll be back on Sunday morning, and on Sunday morning. Uh, we will be uh, previewing the trip to Oxford United on Monday night and we'll be bringing you up to speed with any other transfer stuff. If anything major happens, any major breaks, then I'll jump on uh, tomorrow um, when I get back from the game. But we'll see. Um, so I guarantee you I'll be back on Sunday. I might be back tomorrow, just depending on what happens. Thank you all so, so much. Love to every single one of you. And uh, I will see you all soon. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.